Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University. The overall goal of Half Hood, Half Holistic is to create what we call accessible healing. Um, And so things that are either low and no cost that are relevant to our community um, and that it is accessible in many different ways and many different platforms. And so really the the baby was born out of the fact that um, in my work with black and brown folks, you know, as a therapist, um, therapy itself didn't seem very accessible. Um, It didn't feel very relevant. We were, I just was not in my own practice serving the community that um, I felt so close to. Our guest today on the Cuse Conversations podcast is Rachel Johnson, an author who published a book that is very relevant to what a lot of people are going through when it comes to the issues that we face here. It's on self-love, it's on holistic healing, and it's on the power of working on your mental self, your mental health, your mental well-being. And she recently released a book uh, detailing the importance of self-healing for Black women called the Self-Love Workbook for Black Women. Uh, she's also a two-degree recipient from Syracuse University, got a dual from Falk in Child and Family Studies and Social Work in 2017. And she loved her time on the Hill so much, she got her master's degree in Marriage and Family Therapy and Social Work from Falk in 2019. Rachel, thank you for making the time to join us. How are you holding up these days? <laughs> Thank you so much for that warm introduction. I am doing um, the best that we can around here. You've got a studio, right? That's um, that's pretty close to the Central New York uh, community. That's based on a lot of the work uh, that you're doing in holistic healing and, and holistic health. Let's start with that. You're the founder of Half Hood, Half Holistic, this awesome sounding holistic wellness business. Tell us about the business and how you got started with that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So Half Hood, Half Holistic is my baby um, and currently has five arms um, extensions to itself that include, of course, um, direct services uh, as my background in mental health. Um, I provide coaching therapy. I'm also I have a background in maternal health. um, And so I provide maternal health support, doula services, etc. Um, uh, we also have other arms, including, um, consulting work for particularly nonprofit organizations. I do a lot of nonprofit leadership and community-based stuff, um, and, and consulting around diversity and equity. We also have a community-based arm, which includes like retreats and, um, uh, social wellness events and those and, and things like that. Uh, but really the overall goal of Half Hood, Half Holistic is to create what we call accessible healing. Um, and so things that are either low and no cost that are relevant to our community um, and that it is accessible in many different ways and many different platforms. Um, and so really the, the, the baby was born out of the fact that um, in my work with black and brown folks, you know, as a therapist, um, therapy itself didn't seem very accessible. Um, it didn't feel very relevant. We were, I just was not in my own practice serving the community that um, I felt so close to. And so wanted to create something that was um, very much relevant to that community that was culturally sensitive and that was accessible. And so Half Hood, Half Holistic has been the culmination of that dream and that vision. And it keeps me busy. (laughs) What was the need? Uh, What what did you find was the need for those services here in the central New York community? 
Well, I think the biggest need was around connection. So um, feeling connected to communities um, and feeling connected to like maybe a larger community that was um, outside of the, your four walls, so to speak. And so uh, one of the things that we talk about, um, there's this, this thing that, that um, people will, if they want to go to an event or something, people in this community will say something like, who are going to be there, right? And it is in, in an attempt to check for and check for safety and comfortability and figure out like, do I really want to be in this space? Um, and we like to say, we create spaces where you don't have to ask who are going to be there, right? Because it's supposed <laughs> to be a space where this is your people, right? Like th- those are my people. If you feel yourself, if half of half holistic speaks to you, then you kind of going to be with your people. Um, and that sense of connectedness alone is really healing and feeling connected to services and to providers that get you, that are your kind of people. That alone um, in central New York, I feel like is a missed purpose. We have a lot of services, we have a lot of resources, but there's not that centered connectedness. How did you come up uh, with the name for the business? And what do you mean when you say holistic health? Like what exactly does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, How did I come up with the name of it? Actually, several, it, it had been something that was like, it, it, it describes me, right? Like it's my personality. It is the duality of who I am as a black woman. It is, uh, it just encompasses uh, that there are many different aspects or, or pieces to myself that I wish to bring into every space. Um, it also is just a really cool name. Um, and um, when I talk about holistic healing, that's really interesting because um the term holistic has been, uh, so to speak, commodified and has been like trendy over the last several years. And people have um, either one or like like a reaction to the term holistic um, because they they seem to center it in specific things like specific practices or rituals. Um, from my point of view, when I talk about holistic, I really mean like all of the things that make you you anything that is like like a holistic framework bring all of that with you right and so bring all of the the past you the present you the work you all of those things influence your health it influences your decision making influencing your wellness uh all of those things i don't want people to present in their healing journey with just one piece of themselves right like some people feel like they have to just show up as one kind of person then they start to perform in therapy um but really it's like bring all of it like it's it's holistic and so we like to target um, the vision for Half Foot Half Holistic is to be able to offer services that target all of the things, the mind, the body, the spirit, and work that into practices in a way that is maybe non-traditional. It seems like there's such a stigma around mental health and mental wellness, more so with members of the African-American community, African-American men and women. It seems like there's this real stigma. Would you agree that there is this kind of negative stereotype towards getting help for what's going on in your brain and with your mental well-being? Absolutely. I think um, there's stigma across populations. And uh, I think that the United States and particularly has a lot of work to do around supporting mental health and mental wellness. It is just recently um, something that has g- gained political attention, which then means that money will be put um 
you know, back to, uh, between it. But I do think that overall there is stigma. And then when we start to talk about a specialized population, such as Black folks, um, there's a lot of historical context that influences that stigma or that reinforces that stigma, particularly around mental health and even physical health. And so when you think about different sectors or sections of populations that have been traditionally traumatized um, in the United States specifically, it does make it very difficult for people to even conceptualize mental health, like even, even to even conceptualize or think about or even like be comfortable with the term mental health um, or the phrase mental health is a long journey for some. Um, and then uh, what happens then when we have such a fragmented system that is not always culturally competent or fair or accessible or cost-friendly, it makes it even more laborsome for a specialized population to be able to seek, to, to recognize they need help and then to seek and gain access to that care. Um, so it, I do think absolutely there is a lot of stigma and um, I think it is about normalizing and having conversations that are not at a high level, right? It's being able to pare down some of these concepts and make it realistic and relevant to that population. Do you think that one of the unintended side effects of COVID-19 was people had so much more time on their hands to, to think and maybe that realization that I can get help? I mean, I don't have to go through this by myself. Do you think that the pandemic mm. maybe helped to take a little bit of that stigma away and, and shine a light on these very important issues? I do think that you, like more recently between COVID-19, it has highlighted mental health struggles for so much. And I think what really happens is the ways that people are normally used to coping, um, like through work or through social, re um, uh, social um, recreation or seeing family members, those all things were either taken away or restricted heavily. Um, and so um, people were really at a place where I think um, really needed to come to terms with some of the things because their regular coping mechanisms or outlets had been taken away from them were restricted. And I truly think that during that time, this is when the accessibility of telepsych and teletherapy and talk and text therapy really kicked in. So I do think that in response to that, people started to say, well, let me, let me try this thing. And I also felt like people probably were like, well, we don't have much else to do. So we might as well <laughs> do this thing in the comfort of our own home. So I do think there were a lot of people that had started to fight that stigma and, and come into a space where they wanted to at least uh, try um, the, the concept or the framework of therapy. Um, I think people were also, again, looking for connectedness. People wanted to know that they were not alone. People wanted to know that there was somebody that was going to check in on them and that keep, was going to keep tabs on them. Um, and so uh, with the accessibility of virtual services, I think that um, this is why we are now seeing this um, culture change around mental health. You think about it. If you're out of shape, you want to go for a walk. You want to monitor mm -hmm. what you eat, your intake. Mm -hmm. If you're having issues with your thoughts, you need to, you need to work on those. There's, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of resources out there to help you mm -hmm. get that required help. How do we normalize going to see a therapist as much as we normalize going to see a medical doctor for an mm -hmm. ailment? 
Yeah, I think that's a perfect analogy. Um, one of the things that I do is teach mental health first aid um, to community members, particularly focused on youth, um, but the curriculum expands outside of that. Um, and, the, and the analogy is continuously bringing these parallels to like, okay, everyone has mental health, just like everyone has physical health. You can have poor mental health, you can have, like there's a spectrum. And I think really like people having the ability to have that concept, that that um, concept and grasping, okay, this is, we all have mental health. We all have to do things to maintain our mental health. If we're not maintaining our mental health, then it may be poor mental health, right? There are, and then there are um, subsets of the populations that have diagnoses, just like some people have like diabetes and they have to, which means they have to manage their physical health in a different way. So it's the same thing for mental health um, support. So I think that concept being able to grasp is, is an awesome one. I also think it's part of talking about youth kind of being able to go back into a way that we are having conversations with our youth and they are equipped to have conversations with each other around mental health. That is a really big one, I think, about what it looks like to talk to your three, four, five-year-old about self-regulation, about being able to breathe, about coping skills. I, I, I imagine a world where our kid, kiddos grow up and they're able to regulate and talk about their emotions and say, I'm, I'm triggered right now, I need to step away. Um, and a way that their emotions are they're in control of their emotions and their emotions are not in control of them and that so that's the other thing that I like to tell people sometimes are we're not so comfortable with our emotions and they're controlling us and we want to be in the driver's seat right we want to make sure that we're the ones that's in the driver's seat that are you in full control of your body your thoughts and your emotions that's the goal it's the only goal right that is you want to be able to get there and once people can conceptualize you're right like like power and control is important to me. I want to be the one that dictates my actions. I don't want to be um, reactive to my emotions. People start to understand, okay, like, so then what are the tools that I need to get there? And therapy and mental health support um, right now is one of those tools. What are some things that people can do that are, are at the very baseline level? If they've never gone to a therapist, if they, mm-hmm. but they want to work on themselves, like, What's a starter kind of kit to get into this? That's such a good question. I think um, there are a few things and, and uh, there's no run one right or wrong way for sure to people's wellness because it's holistic. So, I mean, I think the 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 more immediate things or things that we hear about um, every day are um, things like meditation and journaling. Um, and, um, I, I even think about from a holistic standpoint, it is always, it's like what you eat, it's how you talk to yourself. It's, um, being sure to, to catch some of those negative thoughts. So, um, it's maybe having an accountability partner. Um, it's, it's being connected and, and trying not to isolate. So it's setting boundaries, right? It's, um, it's all of those things. Um, and, and I feel like one of the, um, ways that people in the more immediate way have been able to find, uh, these tools are through things like YouTube and podcasts and workbooks, uh, things that are 
very accessible to them um, and get them to, you know, the use of social media, TikTok, like utilizing the resources in front of you to provide you with a level of education or resources that may not be a therapy office. Um, So none of those things are wrong. Um, It is just important to find something um, and hopefully a collection of things, you know, your social wellness and your holistic wellness journey should um, have multiple entities. It shouldn't just be therapy or just be meditation. If you can create a regimen that works for you um, uh, with a collection of all of the things would be helpful. Why do you think that something focused more on like the holistic health approach might be better suited for modern mental health needs than say a traditional therapist? There are people, um, I think, that will that do um, go for traditional forms of uh, of mental health support, like therapy or um, psychotropic medications or groups or um, those um, sorts of things. And those things absolutely work. Um, and I think the reason why holistic a holistic framework to um, well being is really important is because in a holistic framework you can enter from any point, right? And so you can enter from your like physical wellness and then wind up at health, right? You can enter from your financial wellness. You can enter from your social wellness. The, the, it is all encompassing. It is relevant. It, some I tell people all the time with half hood, half holistic, we offer plenty of services. And some people start at what we call tribe check-ins, which is a virtual online group that we host monthly. Um, And so some people just come for tribe check-ins. Our our model at um, Half Hood Half Holistic is come for the vibes, stay for the healing. Um, And (laughs) that is what happens sometimes that people come because they are they see themselves in the brand. They see themselves. It speaks to them. They like the people. They like me. They like the personality. They, they come because they want to learn a little bit more about yoga. They come because they want to learn a little bit more about this. And then they get there and they're like, I'm going to stick around. Like, oh, you offer coaching. Can you help me find a therapist? It starts to because then everyone in that space is rooted in this understanding of healing. And so maybe you come, we host um, non-traditional social wellness events in the city of Syracuse themselves. And we recently had a tea party, a bougie tea party for Black women. It was so cool. It was beautiful. People got the chance to, to dress up. But when we got there, we talked about like sex, love, and like relationships, right? We talked about like how you learned about these things and what, why setting boundaries around these things are important and all of those things. And that community will stay. They will go to the next event and they will go to the next event. And if they want additional services, they will seek that out because they found their community. And so, again, when I talk about holistic wellness and why this is non-traditional, it's because the people just they want a to feel like they've come to this on their own. Um, that's a big one. The other reason is because people want it to be relevant to what they actually want and need, right? They want to be able to identify that for themselves. They don't want people to identify it for them. So going to non-traditional services like therapy would be an identification that you need help with your mental health. Going to a tea party is saying, I want to be socially connected. And when I got there um, or when I got connected, I felt like there was additional growth um, that could happen. How did you become so interested in this line of work? Because it's very evident that this is your passion. This is really something that you are so committed to. So how did you get connected with this? 
That's a great question. I think um, when I was, I've always known that I wanted to support um, uh, black and brown folks, right? Um, That is uh, an an area of mine that I really um, was interested in. And I think um, what I learned very quickly because of some of the history and context around black and brown folks, particularly in the United States, um, it would be um, so important to create healing pathways that were more than just for like for therapy rooms. I learned very quickly that if you're going to be working with black and brown folks, we have to engage our bodies. We have to talk about what we're eating. We have to talk about who we're connected to. We have to set about, there's just so much to be done and so much healing um, that needs to happen, um, particularly because black and brown folks deserve that. And so we deserve this non-traditional approach, right? And so that for me is what led me into my passion. After I graduated, (laughs) Um, from my studies at SU, I just went on and and continued my studies in uh, different things like becoming a doula and doing some maternal health support stuff, Um, became an herbalist at some point in time and got a really good understanding of what that looks like. Um, And uh, so it was finding other communities. I did a lot of public health stuff in the community um, and did some nonprofit leadership stuff. So it, I think always just furthering my understanding of uh, the work that I like to do for me created this like holistic platform. So now I can pull from um, here, I can pull from what I know as a doula, I can pull from what I know as an herbalist, and I can get a really um, good picture or assessment of, of the work that needs to be done. And again, for more information on the programs that are offered, the website is halfhoodhalfholistic.com. That's halfhoodhalfholistic.com. Besides being an entrepreneur, Rachel, you also have an author uh, credit uh, to your background and resume as well. Tell us about the involvement with the self-love workbook for Black women, how this came to be and what you hope to achieve with it. This, thank you so much. This is so interesting. That is also something that's cringy. It's the author title. It feels so weird and so distant. Um, And I think the self-love workbook for Black women, I would love to take credit for, like I would love to take credit for the um, initial thought process. um, And, uh, but I cannot in in a way that um, there was a publishing company, Costello Media, um, had reached out to to me and I believe other um, subject matter experts with ear quotes across the United States. My understanding is that they um, had an idea. Um, they had conceptualized an idea. They had seen that people were looking for something of this nature. They they had seen that self help book self help books were like in. It was a trend. People were like searching for and looking for self help books. Um, and they had seen that the specialized population in need was Black women. And so they had um, reached out to um, I believe a few subject matter experts in the area or across the United States and said, Hey, just you know, submit a writing sample. We think that you would be good at writing this book. And I thought it was spam. So I didn't respond. Um, And, um, but something in my spirit was like, "Ah, just look it up, you know? And so I looked it up and and I I did the initial like phone call with 
um, the woman that was uh, like the talent scout, so to speak. And um, I wound up like we wound up doing the process out of nowhere that, you know, my writing sample had been chosen and they had expressed that they really liked my tone and the way that I wrote the the, the narrative and um, really just gave me a lot of creative control in creating this baby, um, which is the self-love workbook for Black women. And um, so for the next three months, I wrote this book in three months. Um, it was um, meeting and missing numerous milestones um, in writing because you would have never told me that I would be an author. Um, <laughs> I, when I got rid of school, when I graduated, I, so I would never write another book, like, I mean, another paper. Like, so it was all <laughs> of the things coming back to me. Um, and uh, so to speak, so in probably, I think, a six-month span, um, we had created this self-love workbook, and it recently released um, uh, in July as a virtual and in-person um, book, and um, it was definitely a journey to, to write for a community that not only I um, love and appreciate, but one that I'm also a part of, so um, being able to create this workbook um, took a lot of um, reflection for myself as well. Like there was a journey that I had to go through in order to produce this, this um, workbook. And um, it also was a journey between, um, I think there was a lot of healing that had to go in between myself and, um, you know, a, a lot of the editors and, uh, you know, thinking about like how the, you know, this is a very valuable piece to, to write something and then put it out in the world. And so um, I'm very proud of it. And um, so far has been okay. You know, we're still at five stars. So we'll take that. With a, with a name like your book, it's obvious that you've had some really strong relationships with women in your life growing up. What role did some of those really strong Black women in your family and in your life play in helping you become the person you are today? Mm, that's such a great question. Thank you for that. Um, I will mention one of my favorite parts about the book is that I intentionally utilize names. There are case examples in the workbook, and uh, I use the names of uh, my nieces um, to like give them a head nod and pay homage to them. And so there are, you know, all my nieces are Black Black. Black women in the making, Black girls. Um, and then at some point in time, I transitioned to giving like a head nod, um, like a sign of respect, a, a, a thing that says, hey, I see you, to some of the influential Black women in my life. And so throughout the book, the names, um, not the stories, so to speak, but the names in the book really speak to the Black women that are really in, in my life and have influenced me in some way, shape, or form. So um, so I just want to mention that because that is um, that was very intentional. I didn't just create any names, so those are my babies. <laughs> um, but to your point, uh, how Black women have um, been influential and um, in supporting me, I... I, I it, there is no door that's been open for Rachel Johnson that didn't involve a black woman. Right. And I think about the first time that I, um, when I was an undergrad, I think about um, how there were black women that covered me and held me. There were black women in financial aid that made sure that I had the things that I needed and the resources that I needed. I remember um, finding mentors in the community in the Syracuse larger community that um, 
were able to create a narrative that I had not seen before around what it meant for me to be a Black woman. Um, I remember my promotions and the first contract that I was ever awarded, the first grant that Half Hood, Half Holistic um, was awarded came from a Black woman, came from a Black woman that was investing in me and the vision. And so again, without Black women, there's no Rachel Johnson, there is no Half Hood, Half Holistic, there is no workbook. Um, and I serve a lot of, uh, I don't, I actually serve a good amount of Black men in my practice, but um, a lot of my clients, the people that are rooting for me, the people that are sharing my posts, the people that are liking um, uh, the, the comments and all of the things, those are Black women, right? Those are the ones that are supporting me. And so there is no, there is no me, there's no work that I do without Black women at the center of it. I want to make a difficult but important segue in this conversation because we're talking about community. We're talking about finding community. We're talking about working on ourselves and the the things we want to do to improve. There has been so many instances of racial hatred and bias and discrimination. Our country has a very complicated history with with race, and it's been very evident since the pandemic about a lot of the the crimes that have taken place from the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd to Ahmaud Arbery and Micaiah Bryant. There have been so many examples that we've seen of racial injustice towards members of our, our Black community. And one of your areas of, of knowledge that you talk about is holistic healing and how it can help with racial healing. What role do you think holistic healing can play in trying to help our country and our communities deal with and heal from these uh, these wounds that we've suffered? Yeah, from and this is my, there will be no absolute, there will be no healing if it is not holistic. Um, because I think about even what it feels like in your body to hear the news that um, someone had been killed by an, um, you know, an unarmed person, Black person being killed, what that even sounds like, what it feels like coming out of your your voice, your body's reaction to that. And so we could um, we could talk all day about what it what it may look like or, or our thoughts around that. But our, if our body's not included into that, if we're not thinking about what that then means when we go home, how does that impact our sleep? How does that impact what we're eating? Um, then there will not be there, you know, any attempts at healing will be short. Um, there will be short, right? Um, and so I think um, holistic healing and racial healing for very much go hand in hand. Um, and part of that is because you would, in order to get to holistic healing, you have to recognize that there is a whole person. Um, the, 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 the basis of holistic healing recognizes that you are more than just one thing or just one kind of person. And uh, that is where racial trauma starts to happen is because we have not as a country and as individuals recognize Black folks to be human um, or to be more than one thing. And so holistic healing would would consider that um, uh, that we are more than just our trauma, that we are more than just um, what we're portrayed to be, that we are more than just um, beings, we're more than just things that things are happening to, that we are human and we have a range of emotions and we have a range of reactions and we also have a range of needs. Um, and so really I think um, holistic healing also would have to encompass 
not just the present day us, we would need to be talking about some of the history and context, the historical marginalization and traumatization of Black folks that would need to be included in the conversation. And then what that then means for future generations. So I think without the framework of holistic healing, um, racial healing um, will not be able to be achieved. I want to, again, make a segue here from a, a very serious topic to something that might be a little bit more lighthearted with your university choice of coming to Syracuse. What drew you to the orange in the first place? That's such an interesting question. I think a lot about um, my time and my trajectory. Um, and um, for someone who um, had originally, I was born in Buffalo, New York. And uh, so right down the road, not too far from here. And um, for someone who, when it was time, decision-making time back in, you know, when I was a senior, um, was not sure. did not know much about SU. Um, was not one of those people that were like, we need to go to SU. Um, <laughs> I had actually applied to numerous, you know, um, uh, colleges, some of them HBCUs. And really, I'm going to be like what it boiled down to was uh, proximity to my family it was close enough and it was far enough at the same time. Um, <laughs> and uh, it really, in, in, in realistic ways, came down to financial um, uh, means. And so, uh, which sounds weird, right? If you're like, you went to Syracuse University because it was financial means. But um, I was very grateful for a program called Say Yes to Education um, that at that time had stemmed from Buffalo and um, really offered me uh, free tuition, no cost tuition, and nothing in this life is free. So no cost tuition, <laughs> no cost to me either way, um, to attend Syracuse University. It was the only private school that was on the list. Um, and so for me, it was pretty much a decision as a first um, generation and uh, person to go to college in my immediate family or to go away for college to do a four-year institution, um, you know, having to do all of the process by myself from the application to my own FAFSA to, to, to um, figuring out where I was going to live and all of the room and board stuff. Um, that was a, a quite a process to navigate. Um, and then four years later, you know, getting my degrees and advocating for being a nerd and being able to get two degrees at the time. <laughs> and then again, going through the process and advocating for my right to have another two dual degrees at my master's program. Um, but I think it all made sense. It, it, I think it goes, the reasons why I always studied so many things is because I'm more than just one thing I that made if, if if in fact my personality has not <laughs> shined through at this point there is no just me there is no just a therapist Rachel there is not just one avenue or one thing that I like to study and so I, if I can get it all I will so <laughs> uh, I went on and did my master's program and um, if you know, fell in love, of course, with the fault community and um, have always felt supported even at this point in time from uh, professors and, and fellow alumni and, and my colleagues. And so that's my, my Syracuse University story. <laughs> What's the biggest impact the way that your time on the Hill, like how did that impact your mm -hmm. profession? I was on the Hill, but I wanted to get off the Hill all the time. Like <laughs> I always wanted to be um, to know about the surrounding community and be community based. 
um, I was always at awe with um, of the integration and the collaboration that Syracuse University would offer, particularly through the Fox School, to be able to be integrated in the surrounding Syracuse community. And that has shaped my profession. When I graduated, I had already um, had ties and connections and a drive and a passion to serve the surrounding community um, from the Hill. And I think that that um, entryway and having that door left open for me from the Syracuse University um, uh, landscape really helped to further what my passions were. I've always been for the, the, for the people. Um, and so having access to the people and, and being introduced to the people, um, that for me has solidified my track um, consistently. Um, so then transitioning into working in that community and then living in that community um, has been what an, a very interesting journey. And when someone finds out uh, that you happen to be a Syracuse University alumna, what does it mean to you? What do you tell them about how those were formative years that really shaped and influenced you? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, particularly for young folks um, that see me in certain positions or in certain spaces and feeling like it's not accessible to them. I, I too did not feel like this was accessible, right? I too did not feel like I could attend a university such as Syracuse and then go on and obtain degrees and then go on. And, and even now I'm still like an author. What does that mean? A professor, what does that mean? Um, there's a level of dissonance and um, being able to, to relate to those that don't feel like things are accessible and then being able to create a pathway and let them know that things are truly accessible um, and that you um, that there are resources and there are people that as long as they believe in you and they believe in the vision, um, you can get there and you can obtain it. And I think that's a that's a big one is just making sure that people understand that um, when we say I am orange, that means I, too, as a black woman, as somebody that would not be able to uh, traditionally attend the school, I am orange as well. Right. And that there is um, different shades of orange and <laughs> different ways to become orange. But at the end of the day, um, I am orange. And that is really important to me. And we are so thrilled that you are orange. We are so thrilled that you found career success uh, as the founder of Half Hood, Half Holistic. Again, that website is halfhoodhalfholistic.com. Successful author of the Self-Love Workbook for Black Women and just an all-around fascinating person. Rachel Johnson, it's been my pleasure having you on the podcast. We wish you nothing but the best of luck with all your career ventures. And thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.